there's consistency that have lasted through time. And that is success takes time. Parenting takes time. It's effort. There's downfalls. Nothing that ever that is as a value was easy in the long run. It took time, right? And, and that's the same thing with your kids. Same thing with, with your business. Like it takes time. You have stories. And that's allowing your kids to breathe, allowing your employees to fail if you can. Welcome to the business of doing business. I'm your host, Dwayne Carey. With 35 years in business and close to 30 ventures across 12 industries, I've seen a lot. Amid the celebrity allure of entrepreneurship, many exceptional entrepreneurs remain shadowed. Here, I team up with these hidden talents to unveil their challenges and successes. Dive in with me to unearth entrepreneurial gems, learn from our experiences, and get educated. Stu Saunders, welcome to the podcast. Appreciate you being here. I'm excited uh, to have you here in the studio. Full disclosure, we used to be business partners 30 some odd years ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to me, you're, you know, you're the expert in student leadership um, and have been doing it all your life. That's how we met uh, back when we were, what, 15 or 16 years old? Yeah, at a high school leadership conference. Yeah. Why don't you just kind of give uh, any listeners the, uh, the 411? 31 years ago, we had 50 kids come out to a camp for three days, and we thought we were, uh, we were breaking some new ground. We were. We were. Yeah. We were breaking. No one had done that before, you know, at least where we lived. It was kind of a cool idea to take because you know, as a speaker back then, I was a full-time speaker. I'd go into a school. I'd take an hour long with the kids in the gymnasium. You have a thousand kids at the gymnasium. You do your shtick, and you're thinking to yourself, are these kids, are they getting it? Are they listening? thinking of myself in high school when I was there, like, did I listen to the assemblies, the speakers? Did I connect with them? And I thought, you know, it was good to have them for an hour, but if we had it for more than an hour, a day or two or three, you know, what impact could we make? And so that's kind of where the idea came from. And I, and Dwayne and our two friends, we kind of formed a good little bond of, we all had different things we brought to the table. And so we put it out there. We had 50 kids that first year for three days. The camp then grew to, two five-day programs the next year and then four six-day programs next year and then it turned out to us eventually 11 years later me buying a property not us you and then fast forward 30 years how many kids over how many years yeah uh, and Dwayne was there for the first three years you hung out for the first three years and then you went and said there's this is not where I want to be I love it you're great good job I did love it Yeah. yeah and good for you Stu but I'm I got to go make some money. Yeah, because there was, <laughs> there was and still is not a lot of money in student leadership development. So fast forward to 2019. So we'll go pre-pandemic because that was like the, that was where we hit the height. We bought the camp in 2003, uh, our own property. And in 2019, we ended up doing about 1,700 kids in the summertime, over eight-week program. And then we worked with about four and a half to 5,000 kids spring and fall with school groups that came in. So we had a you know 40-acre property on the lake with high ropes and rock climbing and canoeing and kayaking and all that type of stuff. So it kind of, from that silly idea we had 30 years ago, not knowing what we're doing, but had a lot of heart and a lot of passion and a lot of good ideas, it turned into a, you know, a multi-million dollar business because we expanded far beyond the camp program too. But in high level, so, you know, beyond, you know, the money and all that kind of stuff, what, you, what you've done over the years is just unbelievable when it comes to student leadership and influencing youth. Have you ever totaled up the impact on how many kids over over the, the 31 years or whatever it's been? As of 2019, 
the number that we kind of rested at, we sat down and uh, about 3.1 million. Yeah, in the US, uh, 40, 42 states, every Canadian province, two of the three territories and four uh, countries in Europe. That was one of the things that I wanted to kind of get out was, you know, the amount of impact that you've made and what you've seen all over North America. Um, and one of the reasons, I guess, selfishly that I, I wanted to have you on the podcast was to kind of pick your brain a little bit about what's going on with student leadership. And, and you know, from many, many levels, I can tell you that, you know, my wife and I, we would never have a dinner with our friends at any point in time when, you know, the issues of today pop up in a conversation. It's, it's almost every single dinner. And I always worry that I have become the old man that is complaining about youth today. And I'm actually not complaining, but I, I mean, I do obviously have some legitimate concerns, but I'm curious, you know, what you've seen as trends over the years, uh, working with, you know, in excess of 3 million kids, uh, over 30 years. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny you say that because to kind of complete the first part of the story, we closed the camp last year. So after 30 years, we decided to close the camp and, you know, there's a number of reasons why we closed the camp. And one of them was the differences I'm seeing in young people and parenting and society. My wife is also a high school teacher, so I see different perspectives there as well. But the kids are still, you know, high school kids are still high school kids as they were when we were in high school 40 years ago. But the extremes are so different. Okay, so I find the, the kids who are the good kids, they want to change the world. Like they think they can too, which is different, right? Like they legitimately think they can change the world. They can go out there, they can start some sort of foundation, they can like build a organization that's gonna eradicate hunger or eradicate whatever. They believe that. Full, fully believe that. The other extreme is the kids who are challenging have become far more challenging. And that stems out of a lot of different stuff that we could go down a long rabbit hole about that. So what I'm seeing in the training, I did, I did it, I said to you before the podcast, I did a, we started recording, I did a podcast with some friends in Australia and it was the longest podcast I'd ever done, two parts. And the reason why was because we were getting on the conversation of where young people are today. And I'm also, I'm not like you, I'm not like these kids today. I'm not like, you know, I walked both ways uphill, barefoot, you know. In the snow. In the snow, you know. <laughs> I think I have a perspective that most people don't have. So I do run the summer camp, but I also, spoke to 3 million kids all over the world uh, in audiences. I watched, I watched audiences, and I understand that I've gotten older too, but I watched audiences go from, become completely disconnected from uh, the person in front of them. I've watched teachers become disconnected from the people in front of them. And I think one feeds the other. I think that comes from parenting. I think it comes from uh, education. I think it comes from social media. I think it comes from a different, number of different places. So when I left this year, there was a great relief in leaving the camping business because I was struggling with connecting with young people. And yes, I'm 53 years old. So there's an obvious reason why I don't connect with 15 year olds anymore. Uh, they think I'm their dad or their grandfather for that matter. What's the change? There's so many, there's so many changes. I'm curious just to kind of peel that back because it was just reflecting on a couple of things that you said was that the, the core group are super motivated and think they can change the world and they're very in tune to that. And then you've got this fringe group who are disconnected and become more challenging. I don't think the fringe group is disconnected. I think 
the majority of kids are disconnected. Majority of kids are disconnected. I'm saying that the kids who are causing grief is 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 worse than it used to be. Like they, they legitimately don't give a shit. Right. Because I I, I really think there's, there's a there's a large group of kids. Like my wife was telling me, she said when she started teaching, she'd count in one hand in the first five years teaching how many kids told her to f off. Five kids this month told her to f off. Right. In her school. Right. And this is not a inner city bad school. This is just legitimately what these kids don't give a shit. They just don't care. And they don't see that as a reason. There's no, there's no reason to, to care because no one knows and tells them, no one tells them they have to care what the adult says. So I think that in general, kids are disconnected. Through connection, they're very disconnected from, from what the world probably we want them to be. Yeah, and sometimes I feel like a piece of that is, is the disabling or the disembarkment of, of the community. And I think there's a lot of causes to that, but I'm curious, what are your thoughts? Um, and there's, like you said, there's parenting, there's uh, societal norms are changing, uh, social media, so we can pick one of them, and I'm sure we'll talk about many of them, but which, wh- wh- where do you think the biggest one is? Okay, we got, we got two parts. We, had, we were going in a certain direction before March 2020, right? We were, we were trending in a way, which wasn't great. We were trending in a way that we've given kids, if your listeners could are over the age of 40. And you can think back to your school career, your high school career, your middle school, high school career. You lived in the moment. Your, your, your influence, your world was the people around you, right? That was your neighborhood. That was your school. That was your street. That was your apartment, that, that your complex, whatever. That, that's where your world was, right? That's how you based your success or your failure. You based your success on the kid next door or your failure on the kid down the hall. That's, how, that's what it was, right? And then you, as we introduced social media and allowed kids to have complete access, which is there's great parts about having complete access to so much stuff. Like technology is amazing and it can do so many amazing things. But when you start putting, and parents need to put kids younger and younger and younger to have this power in their hand where they can open up an app like TikTok or Instagram and they can immediately in real time compare their lives to a kid 2,000 miles away who's their age, who looks like them and say, that's not my life. I don't have any of that. They immediately compare their lives, which immediately makes them feel defeated. So what we're finding, and I do, we were doing a research project, a friend of mine, Dr. Greg Wells, and we're doing a very peripheral research project post-pandemic of the effect that it had. So what it did was we were trending towards kids being, kids being disconnected from their community because their community did not fulfill what they were seeing online. And once that happens, you start saying, you know, F you to my world because it's not what I want. Because now I have this reference point. I have this reference point of what all these other kids are doing, how they're living, what they're doing, how they're partying, what they're wearing. Where before, when we were young, we had the people around us. So you pretty much knew that Steve next door, that's kind of how things were in your world. But now you see Steve in Abu Dhabi, who's your age, who's driving a Mercedes at 16. And you're like, well, I don't have that, right? So there's there's that, that comparison. So then what we did was we had the pandemic and we accelerated this at like we put fuel on this because now we said to kids you know there was always this comment we should kids shouldn't have you know so much screen time blah blah blah. we should limit this we put fuel on it and then we said no we actually want you to be online all, all the, the time, time. <laughs> yeah right and never take your eyes off a screen yeah, it was the only thing available it was right and and i hate that say i hate that saying it is what it is but it, but it was that's all it was and then kids became completely disconnected so what we've seen now post-pandemic is incredible social disconnection, so what we would consider social norms. 
So we're seeing kids who don't have any ability to function. So right now we're noticing that kids are three years held back socially. So a kid in grade 12 is really a kid in grade nine. Uh, a 15 year old is really a 12 year old. College kids, university age kids, these kids are, these kids, like a friend of mine is the president of university and he was telling me that the 2022 class of freshmen that came into their school was the worst he'd seen in 30 years for dropout rates, for mental health, for suicide attempts. Like entire career before that did not match one year. They lost 20% of their class from dropouts. And that had never come, never come close, nor, more than 3% before that. It's an interesting world we live in. I didn't, this is a whole, there's just so much stuff I could talk about. But what I think what we're doing is we're, we're doing such a detriment to young people by allowing them to have so much freedom to just be connected to everything all the time. It's actually not good. And we're going to find this out in 10 years when employers are hiring this generation of workers. Uh, and I had this, I was in New York last week and I was having a conversation with somebody who owns a very large company. And he was telling me like, he's noticed the trends over the last 10 years of the inability for young people to socially function on their own, to be alone, to be on their own. They can't, they can't have conversations. They can't, they can't problem solve. They can't, the disconnection is unbelievable. And so this is where we're trending. So as an employer, if I ran a business, um, one of the reasons why I'm happy, I don't run a camp anymore. I, I hired a hundred kids a year. Uh, in our busy years, and I'm happy I'm not doing that. This is not hyperbole. This is not something I read. It's actually happening. These kids are, they cannot function anymore. And these are 19-year-olds who are in college, who cannot function on their own. I mean, we have a bit of the same experience with, uh, we hire a lot of kids in, our, in a couple of our businesses, and one of them specifically, we'll get young young kids that were hiring kind of 15, 16, 17 years old. And, you know, you're trying to train them on the job and you have to course correct along the way constantly, constantly. when you're training people, you know, to do a job. And when you go to course correct, like I would say probably 30% of the kids now, the reaction is, is, well, you, you, you can't tell me that I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. It's like, well, how else, how else am I supposed to do it? Like, I mean, you've got to know. And they'll walk out. And they, and that's exactly what they, that's what is, they just walk out. They, they leave. They're going like, well, I got to go. I was scared to death in my first jobs. Terrified. Like I had to impress this employer. I had to be good. I was terrified. I didn't want to let my parents down. I didn't want to let, you know, like this was my job. And I was, I remember my first job was working in a, in a restaurant as a dishwasher when I was 14 years old. And I remember like, I, I almost got fired because I was late and uh, the boss yelled at me. I was like so scared. My mom was going to find out and like rip one off me. Like he was, she was like, I was terrified. Now I could show up for late for a shift. They're like, yeah. And you, there's no accountability. At, or, or, sorry, I shouldn't say no. There's less accountability at home. The good kids uh, that we see, you can tell. They're the, still the, good kids. The, the, and, and they've got, they come from a family where the accountability is very high. And if you had an issue, you could, pretty easily call home and have a conversation. But, but now it's, you know, a lot of times we're getting parents that are calling their kids in sick and just say, oh, they're not coming. They don't feel like coming today. Here's the problem. You're right. There's still so many great kids. You know, I just ran a program for 2000 kids at a big theme park near here. And, uh, I, I asked for a bunch of kids and a bunch of parents brought their kids up to help us out, to be the, the youth leaders in it. And it was fantastic. These are good kids. There's good parents. There's always going to be that. But because the kids are inundated with everything around. They're seeing everything around them. It's harder for a parent to parent, right? Because they're like, 
well, no, that's not what these 10 other kids are doing. So why do you make me do this? And we've allowed kids to, in, in many ways, it's good for them to have their own voice and to speak up. And that's really important. But we've allowed kids to just question everything. The, the job of a parent is to parent. The problem, I think, with a lot of parents is they want to be their kids' friends. And they're so terrified that their kids aren't going to be their friend that they don't have, they're just so scared to piss their kids off. That I'm seeing right now is, is a huge trend. Like you say, the, the, so the core is that we have a, a, a more discontented fringe of, of kids that are growing and the core is still there or... As you're saying that, I know I'm not, I'm not painting that picture properly. In general, in a Western, the Western world that we live in, right? In, develop, in our developed world that we live in, in Canada, the United States, you know, these type of countries, the majority of young people are trending towards complete disconnection from community. That, I do that, I, and I mean that. The majority of young people are trending towards it. So there are still great kids, for sure, no question about it. There will always be great kids. Like through society, there's always been bad people, there's always been good people. That's just the way the world works. But we are trending like we've never trended before because we've never had a time in history where we're so connected as, an, as a universe, right? Like I can put anything I want up, I can read anything, I can access anything I want, so I can question everything. And that's the challenge right now, right? So we've never been in a place where the majority of young people have the ability to question everything and in the palm of their hand, prove to the person in charge that they're right. Whether they are or not, it's irrelevant, but they have. Well, they have a version of the story that is right. The great thing of the internet is you can find support to support anything, right? Like, well, I mean, you can debate any topic, take the most contentious topic, whether it's religion, abortion, whatever it is, sure. and you could make a case for each side. I mean, it's right or wrong, right? But, but you, you can, can find a, you can find a case for anything. There's still a flat Earth society, right? And it's growing. So, I mean, it's the most ridiculous things you can find people who will support you. You know, as you're talking about this, and one of the questions that just popped into my head was like, they're getting less attached to the current community or the existing, the previous community that we saw. Traditional community. Traditional community. And so the question that I had was, well, what does the new community look like? So we all starve for connection. At some level, we must meet a need for connection with others. And, and, you know, or else you become a sociopath if you're, you know, just kind of stuck in a shack up in the more mountains, uh, you know, by yourself. So you have to have some type of connection. So now they're finding community elsewhere on social media. And long term, is this going to be, you know, is this problematic? Is it, you know, is this just maybe a shift that we have to kind of get through and, and, and it finds some type of balance? So if you go historically, like you think back to like world events. If you go back to like World War II, I had this conversation so many like there was the old common good, right? Like there's the, that used to be a, a, a feeling in society for the common good. So like you would all eventually rally together. Like when the pandemic started, right? Everyone rallied together and it was like, we were on the porch, we were banging pots. We were like, you know, everyone seemed like go nurses. Like it all became very, we immediately go towards this common good. That's what human nature is, right? Like we want to support our neighbor. But then what happens is now we start to like, it frays quickly and we start thinking, well, my common good's not your common good. And so that, that's much more fractured now than we've ever been. And I think you can see that. Turn on the news, you can see it where it's so fractured. And so kids, young people, 
let me back up community here. So when I talk now to corporate groups and corporate groups, I don't, I don't speak to young people anymore. So I work, I work more in community for corporates, organizations. And my topic is building community. And so every community requires three things. All they care about is three things. They want to feel like the, that they have an organic connection to the groups. So they want to feel like whatever they, they're talking about is legitimately important to the next person. Like it's organic, it's real. Two, but the problem is organic and real is hard on social media, but they want that. Two is they want to feel like they're they're being cared for by that community. So like someone will stand up for them. Someone will defend them. Someone will, will wrap their arm around them. Someone will give them a hug. Someone will high five them, whatever it is. And the last thing is they want to feel like in some way, shape or form, they're moving their community forward, right? They want to feel like they're doing something of value, whether that value is whatever. I mean, you can, you can break that community down to like being a Swifty for a Taylor Swift fan, right? Like those people believe wholeheartedly that that's a legit community. Like they are supporting their leader. That's Taylor Swift. And they will do whatever they can to do that, right? And they feel like they're all connecting. And so that's what community is. And so why it's become so fractured on the, on the global level, like on a larger scale, the bigger picture is there's, when we were young, there wasn't that many communities, right? Like you had your high school community, you had your, your sports team, you had your church, right? That's what you had, right? Well, now there's, you can open up your phone and find a community for anything. Like there's a thousand different communities, which is good that everyone has something, but what that does is it allows nobody to have a common, a common thing, common feeling, right? You don't, you can't rally around stuff. So. I would say I wrote an article today about our camp. And I said that when I started our camp, when we actually became, we bought our property and we grew into a full-time camp. We had eight weeks and summer, uh, spring and fall programs. I used to have 150 kids line up to work for me. And they would create these creative applications and they were like, just wanted to work. And they didn't ever ask questions like, how much am I getting paid? Or how many days can I have off? They just wanted to work. They just want to be part of that community. They want to be part of camp. That was more important than anything else because that's what you did. You grew up in that community. You loved it. You wanted to be part of it. The last year I ran the program, I had to negotiate with kids to work with me because this camp community didn't fit in with their other five other communities that they were part of. And so there wasn't the common idea of like, you come to camp in the summertime, you work there all summer. It's amazing. You create memories. You live there. You, you build your biggest friendships. You, you make impact on young people's lives. Now it's like, it became the point where I was negotiating with kids for, it was a patchwork quilt. And that simply because that, that, that we don't have that anymore. And I think that's where the problem, we don't have this common. Now, in fairness to them at that point in time, that was just post-pandemic, correct? I think so. We were trending that way before the pandemic, but we accelerated it after the pandemic. So, and that's, I think kind of, that's been the big piece, right? Is like the pandemic has created, you know, it's, I mean, even as you were talking about the corporate works, like, you know, People want to be a part of a community and there was those three pieces that you spoke about. They want to move their community forward and, and they want to, you know, but yet they don't want to come to work. And it's, so it's like, well, I want this, but, oh, I'm also not going to come to work three days out of the week. I only want to come two, and that's a stretch. Yeah. Uh, and so, but can you make me feel part of a community while I don't work at the community? <laughs> so, but so it's happening. I mean, as much as we do look at the kids, it is happening in, in it's adulthood happening. as it's well. It's happening in every, every age group. But the problem is the older people, it's, it's still, there's still enough people who are older who are, they see the value of, of, of working hard towards something. Obviously there's, there's differences, right? But the problem is that the younger generation, I'm thinking 30 and below, there's a lot less of that. And every five years and it's speeding up it's getting less and less of that like you just said it like i, I really i want to be part i want to be part of something but only on my only on my 
my terms. I want you to make me feel really special, but only when I want you to feel. I mean, it's like, it's so hard. I don't think we had a single, uh, this is good and bad to this, but I don't think we ever had a single conversation about mental health in the first 20 years I ran my camp. Kids or staff. There's good and bad to that, right? There's obviously yep. There's obviously bad because there was we didn't talk about mental health you, at all. Probably should have had some conversations. Should have been something, yeah. right? But then I would have on a daily basis 12 to 15 staff tap out because they just couldn't handle it. We're talking about summer camp. We're talking about going swimming, canoeing, kayaking, climbing a rock wall. And we were there at their breaking point. And so that's a bad trend. There's no you know, grit, you, you know, you're in business for a long time. You know that we've all learned about in business that grit is the differential between success and failure for a lot of people. Like you have to have grit. You look back at the people who have built businesses, built organizations, they had this ability to like somehow find a way to get it done, right? To work hard does not exist. I mean, that's why I think this is a big topic because, you know, one, I mean, it concerns me. It's the social fabric, it's the youth, it's, you know, our future. And, you know, from a business perspective too, these are the people you're going to hire in, whether it's two years or t- 10 years, they're not showing up with the same grit that you're used to running your business on. So what does that make, what does that look like? And, and who can predict that? It, it probably doesn't come out well. Parents need to parent. Limit the screen time. Have meals with your kids where there is no technology. Don't allow your 10-year-old to take the phone to bed with them. Don't allow them to uh, force them to be in nature. Like you need to get kids outside. Like they need to be outside. They need to be in nature. They need to be in touch with green. Like that is so huge. I look at your, look at the window of your home. Green and blue, scientifically proven to increase mental health. Green and blue, water and trees. More water and trees, the happier you are. It's proven. Concrete, depressing, green and blue, uplifting. Really? Didn't know that. 100%. Uh, How many kids live in urban areas that don't have access to green space? Huge numbers. How many kids, summer camp programs? Less and less. We lost 20% of summer camps. A million spots we lost in Ontario for summer camp spots through the pandemic for camps closing. A million spots. What's that as a, as a percentage? It's probably 20%. 20%? Yeah. And that's permanent lost or? Closed. Closed. Gone. And they won't come back because that, that land? Yeah, you can't afford to do it now. No. So you could buy a piece of waterfront, 40 acres of waterfront 25 years ago for, you know, you can't do that now. You'd have to literally ship your kids to Tatiak Duck to... Right. Afford to. 100%. Right. Or the tundra. But there's no green there either. But <laughs> so, and what's happening then too is because there's less and less spots available for young people uh, at camp, those that are available are going to the only those that can afford them. So you're limiting. Now it becomes elitist. Completely elitist. You're limiting the access. Like even like I look at like things like Girl Guides and Boy Scouts. They had they had camps for years, right? And anybody could go to those things. Church groups like United United Church had they had, they had huge camp programs. All gone. Everything's gone. Girl Guides gone. Gone. Twenty seven camps. Now they're down to two. And Boy Scouts gone. There isn't a single functioning Boy Scout summer camp program in Ontario or Canada. What? And it's declining faster in the states because of camp scouting is not a growing industry. Wow, that's insane, man. Gone. Yeah. YMCA's. Camps are closing. Camps are now becoming basements of buildings, not 30 acres of green space. Right. And so that's a huge piece, right? So we've replaced what we need as humans, which is connection to nature. Young people need that more than anybody else. Adults need it too. You want to talk about, there's par- people who now, why do you go Why do you go on vacation to gorgeous places in Fiji? Why do you go to places that are gorgeous? Like, why do you go? Because you want to get away from concrete. You want to get it close to the water. You want to get close to the green. 
why did you why do you have a home in the water because it's beautiful 100 percent. right you get to wake up in the morning i was saying today thank you for having me at your house today i was i i stood there for you know for five minutes just looking at the blue like it's just calms you right down makes you feel good makes you feel grounded why are we replacing organic real life with vr while we put in the oculus on kids rather than taking them out to the nature spots because it's easier well it's accessible accessible and easier i was in new york last week and you know new york city one of the most populous cities in the world top 10 busiest cities in the world biggest you could be in central park in five minutes and you can walk through Central Park. It's like you could be anywhere. Like I, I went for an hour and a half walk in Central Park. Unless you look directly up, you were in the wilderness. It's fantastic. Yeah, Central Park's beautiful. Right? I mean, there is park space, but it comes with effort, which comes to parenting. Parents don't want to do that. That's why parents give their kids phones, because it's electronic babysitting. Right? It's, it's, it's a larger story. It's a societal, it's a societal thing that we, we don't want to give our kids the time they need that our parents did. The idea of you saying to your child in 2023, our kids are grown up. Like our own kids are, your and I, our kids are grown up. But to have like an eight-year-old and say, go outside and play. But mom, I don't want to. Well, just go. That's what our parents did, right? Just go outside and play. Go figure it out. Go do something with your friends. So when that happens, that creates that little simple action of your parents saying, just go outside and do it. Right? Go hang out with your friends. Sure, we got in trouble as we got older, did stupid things, rode our bikes in the wrong places. But it allowed us to like have social skills development. We, got, we allowed, us to, allowed ourselves to have creativity. We would pretend. Through pretending comes play. Why do you think like some of the biggest entrepreneurial successes in the world are from young people who grew up in our generation because they were forced to be creative? Right. Right? So when you have a phone where you download the game, it provides all the parameters for your creativity. You only go this, you only go this, that's where you stay. When we were kids, like everything was anything. And so we were allowed to create, to dream, to, to, to laugh, to just be goofy because we didn't. Listen, I was always in trouble. You had to be creative to get into trouble and you had to be creative to get out of trouble. Yeah. I had a parent call me. This is probably seven or eight years ago. And a parent called me and she said, Stu, I've heard so much about your camp program. I wonder if you could help me out. Sure, what's the problem? I have an 11-year-old son and he lives in the basement. He's just on his computer all the time. He's on his PlayStation, his Xbox, his Wii all the time. And he has no social skills. And I'm really worried about him. He doesn't go out with his friends. He has no friends. He doesn't leave the house. He has anger issues. And he just won't get off those, te- those platforms. In the moment, I wanted to say, well, he's 11. Who bought him all the damn platforms? Who bought him the PlayStation, the Wii, the Xbox? It wasn't him. He hasn't got a job. And you do the ability to turn off the internet. You have the ability to unplug. You have the ability, all sorts of things you could do. But what they don't want to do is they don't want to do that because that puts friction in the relationship. And it goes from being pal to having to be parent. So what will I do is I will get somebody else to help me. So I get the phone call. Still, you help me. Will you save my kid? Sure. Give me two weeks. I'll fix 11 years. That's what they think, right? So the kid comes and sure enough, the first couple of days, he's having like withdrawals from drugs. Like he does not know how to function. He is like, he doesn't like being outside. The sun is too bright. I'm not kidding. Like he wanted, if there was an app to turn the sunshine down, he would have yeah, because he's used to playing games in his basement. His basement, all his, day long. Yeah, and his basement doesn't have windows, probably. By the third day, he's starting to interact now. By the fifth day, I see him running up from the waterfront, and he's dirty because he's been like fell in the lake, and he doesn't care. By the sixth day, he's on the top of the high ropes, diving off the high ropes to hit the floating floating buoy in the air, and 
and he's cheering and the kids are cheering him on. But by the, by the ninth day, he's got six buddies he's walking up the hill with arm in arm laughing. By the last day, he's singing a song at the campfire. Incredible. Like one of my favorite transformations of a kid ever. Can you save my child? He has no social skills. He has anger issues. All sorts of things. And it goes, it goes down to the, the environment he was living in. Last day comes to camp and you've, you've, you, you, you've been to the camp. You've seen what we do. And the kids all stand up on stage and they all say something. They all, they all say a little mission statement or a vision statement or whatever the different program, different thing they do. They all say something though in front of the 300 parents who are in the room. He gets up there and he says, uh, I can't remember what the actual question was, but the answer was, when I grow up, I'm going to be like my camp counselor, Chris, and then I'm going to be like this person. And then one day I'm going to be like Stu and own this camp. And I turned to my director and I said, this is incredible. This is why we do what we do. Yeah, wow. Like, this should be like, we should film this, although we don't, we should film this and we should, this should be like a video, is it commercial for us? This is like, back then, this would have been a great TikTok video. And I look out, and there's mom, iPhone in the air, filming the whole thing, tears in her eyes. So I kind of high five my director, one of my directors, and it's all over and everyone's leaving and hugging and saying goodbye. And mom comes up to us and she says, Stu, thank you so much. That was incredible. I don't know what you did. That was amazing. And I said, I didn't do anything. I just allowed your child to be a child and just to be disconnected. And he's incredible. And you, you need to know how good this kid is. Oh, yes, yes. I've always known that. I've always, I've always known he's great. I said, well, I'm, I'm glad we could help, but I can't wait. To, maybe we'll go back next year. And everyone's packing up. I used to stand at the gate and I would say thanks to all the parents. They drove off. And I always said the same thing. I'd always say, thank you so much for trusting us with your child. I hope to see you next summer. And if I can ever help you through the school year, let me know. Basically the same thing I said to everybody. And then I would go to the kids and say, thanks so much, guys. What's your favorite moment? Like, don't forget this. Like, go your house team. And so this parent rocks up with a little boy in it. And I said, thanks so much for coming next year. And I go to the back and I say, and he's like, yeah, let's do next year. I want to do this. And I want to be, and go this. And he's like, he just was just a mile a minute. And the mom says, sweetheart, we got to go. We got to get in the road. And I'm thinking, of course, they got a three-hour drive. Of course, they have to get on the road. And she says, I am not making this up. She says, we have to get in the road because your dad and I are so proud of you. We bought you the new Rock Band 5. And I just, wow, my heart sunk. His face changed in that instant. He went from like seeing the future of him being like the camp owner one day, 11 years old. But I thought of his brain's like, well, why did I just do this two weeks? What's the point of all this if I'm just going back downstairs into the basement, the dungeon? It's because the parent only knew how to do that. That was how the parent showed her love. That's how she expressed her feelings. Mm -hmm. And that goes from parent to pal. She didn't know how to parent. And that used to be rare. There's always shitty parents. It's always been shitty parents. And I'm not saying these parents are bad people. They're not. They're good people. They're just not prepared. They're just not prepared. They don't have the plan. They don't have the skills. And as society, we're so scared of, in general, we're just so scared of adversity, right? Like hard work is, is called hard work. That sucks. You can extrapolate that to, to so many different things that are happening in the world these days, right? Like we just, we just, we want to find a way to do it easier, quicker, faster. And rather than have a conversation with a child as a parent, you can just give them something or just avoid avoidance, right? Parenting is not avoidance. Parenting is confrontation. That's a huge thing to think about. A lot of parents want to avoid the shit. Yeah, nothing gets learned by avoiding. I mean, you're not you're not going to be able to manage your own intimate relationship by learning how to avoid things. How many times in your business career have you had conversations with people you didn't want to have, but you had to have them? Got it. Every day. Right? I do it every day. That's what that's all I do. 
right? So if, if someone gave you the choice, you know, Dwayne, here's the conversation you don't want to have. Here's a way to avoid it. If you purely had the choice, you, oh, I don't want to do it. But you can't because you want to be successful and you want to run a business. And you have to do things. So you have to have those conversations. That's what parenting is. I've actually trained myself to want to have those conversations. I actually look forward to them because the association that I've made over time is that it's easy to not have the conversation. If I don't care, then I'll avoid the conversation. But if I care about that individual or I care about the outcome or what they could learn or the lesson that they could take from it or how they could grow, then I actually seek those conversations. I'm a seeker of those conversations sometimes. Just know you're not common. Well. That's not a common thing. Because especially in 2023, when we, can, we have so many ways to avoid stuff. <laughs> like we are given so many ways to avoid things. I told a friend the other day that I, there's a, a person I'm working in my organization right now that I have to make a change I don't want to do because I really have a lot of respect for this person's extended family. But I know it's better that this person leaves the organization. And I said to this uh, some other day, I said, I'm not good at this stuff. I'm not you, Dwayne, right? I'm okay with my kids. I'm not okay with my employees. And I said, once I dated a girl who I did not want to break up, I could not, didn't, I didn't want to face it. And she had bored my car the day that I had to break up with her. But I didn't want to. She had my car for three months. I didn't speak to her. <laughs> so where the hell do you send a kid? Well, I sent my son to to your camps. You know, at the time, I, you know, do you wonder like, did he get any of that? But now that he's twenty one, and when you talk to him, it landed on him. Sure. So all those experiences stack, you know, over time. And to me, it's like it's like being in a relationship, in an intimate relationship. It's like building a love bank. It's like I've got to stack. You know more positive, you know experiences and emotions uh, than negative. Mm -hmm. And if I can maintain in a plus, then you can weather the, the the storms. And and I think that's what happens with kids nowadays is like they don't have enough of the repetitions of good positive emotional uh, experiences, so that when the shit does hit the fan, that they they can put it into perspective. And I sometimes think that. Are the issues really different? And is mental health a bigger problem today than it was? Or were we more equipped emotionally, physically to deal with those mental health issues? Because, you know, you, you just, I mean, and sometimes idle hands are the devil's workshop. Yeah. And so you go out and you, you know, the, you know, kids are stuck inside and they're on their phone or they're in their basement and they're, and stuff's playing in their brain. I mean, all that stuff played on my brain as a kid. I mean, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I was. You talk about, you know, transgender and like told a story about, about uh, my wife's aunt who's in her mid seventies. You know, she said we were talking about transgender changes and she said, you know, if at 15, if somebody had given me the option of changing gender, I would have taken it because I was a tomboy and I didn't know, I didn't feel like I fit in. Didn't want to wear a dress. But, but I, but yeah. But I evolved and now she's, you know, very attractive for 75, very attractive, very feminine, beautiful, lovely woman, embraced who she is. You, you know, if, if you're, if you're, uh, your new relationship, if your relationship is good enough, eventually you can have silence, right? Like there's a beauty in silence. There's a, there's, there's an uncomfortability in silence, right? So like sometimes we just speak to say something because we don't want to be quiet. And I think there's a moment my, I don't remember who was told me, but it's like, a successful relationship is when a man and woman or two people, two partners can sit at a dinner table and not speak and still be in love. 
there's incredible beauty in that, right? Because you're so comfortable and you're so okay with who you are and you're so okay with where you are in your life that you can be totally quiet. And it's the same thing with the reason why we fill our kids' lives with so much, is allow your kids to be kids. It's the same thing with allowing yourself to have silence. And I think parents are so worried about their kids not being entertained, being amused. The beauty of summer camp, if we go right back to the beginning of the conversation, the beauty of summer camp is it's the last bastion of hope for young people. And I mean that sincerely. And I have a lot of camp friends who've worked really hard to open camps and run camps, and it's not always easy, especially since the pandemic. We lost so much, as so many people did. A camp allows a kid to be independent, to be disconnected, to be problem solvers, learn self-esteem and create. Resilience is not gifted to you. Resilience is built. You can't buy resilience. There's no app for resilience. You have to build it. And because we don't allow our kids those silent moments, and those silent moments are allowing your kids to learn rather than the parents avoid or fix. In those moments of silence, which means just allowing your kids to learn, that's where resilience is built. That's where grit comes from. That's where creativity has grown. There are still great people in the world, but parents, and I'm not trying to come down on parents, parents are also looking at their social media and seeing what other parents are doing. It's like, oh crap, I'm not doing that. They just took their kids to the zoo and somehow they're like riding the back of a giraffe. Holy crap, I gotta do that because my kid's gonna see that and think, mom, why am I not in a giraffe? Like, I'm gonna be a giraffe. They see that too. They have the exact same comparison dilemma. And the best parents in the world are the ones that allow their kids silent moments, which means they don't have to solve the problem. And that is where, like when you send your kid to camp, you said years later, it hits them. I did get something out of that, right? Like they got something out of being homesick. They got something out of falling down, scraping their legs and not dying, learning, learning they're not going to die. Right. They got something from falling out of the canoe in the lake and being rescued. They get those things from those moments, which we as parents, when our, we were young, our parents gave us to all the time, go outside and play, go figure it out, go make it up, go pretend, go create. That's what we did, right? We got in our bikes and we went, we did things. And that is what we don't allow young people to do. We don't allow young people to breathe because we don't like the silence. Awkward silence, the same thing as not providing for your kids constant entertainment, solutions, and answers. The best parents I've seen over the last 30 years who are my kids are the ones who say, you figure it out to their kids. Not all figure it out. Hmm. That's a good distinction, dude. That's a really good distinction. But, but even at work too. 100%. You're not a micromanager, I don't think. No. You allow your, your team to figure it out and fail and to succeed. And that's, where, that's, where you build, that's how you build managers. It's how you build kids. It's how you build leaders. They have to have experience. You don't get experience if it's given to you. You get experience by experiencing things. That's how you get experience, right? It's like I. It's why twenty-one-year-old life coaches aren't aren't a thing. It's why you know you need to have somebody who. I always say when I hired my first investment advisor, wealth management person, so they better drive the best damn car and have some great stories of how they got that car, because I don't want the one that's driving the old beat-up shit car. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. From experience, you know, I can reflect how many times I've actually sat there and been in a meeting you know, with my executive team, like not just low level managers, the executive team, C-suite and go, Oh God, this, this is going to be an expensive experience. <laughs> you know, that the plan that they just created, but uh, you have to let them sometimes make mistakes. I mean, it, I always say, is it a knee shot or a head shot? Mm. You know, if it's a knee shot, all right, well, we'll get stitched up and get back in, move back. But if it's going to be a head shot, then I, then I might step in, but kids born in 2012, 75% of the jobs they'll work in do not currently exist. So yeah, who knows? 
who the hell knows? I, I mean, AI, a year ago, we weren't even talking about chat GPT. And now it's completely changed education in six months. Wait for two years. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> AI was a movie you watched with Will Smith. Now it's like every day of our lives. So it's, it's, it's constantly evolving. I mean, we, don't know, we, don't, we don't know the change is going to come. And so I don't want to be that old fuddy-duddy guy who's like, well, when I was a kid, there's consistence that have lasted through time. The Industrial Revolution, like there's things that have existed. And that is success takes time. Parenting takes time. It's effort. There's downfalls. Nothing that ever that is as a value was easy in the long run. It took time, right? And, and that's the same thing with your kids. Same thing with, with your business. Like it takes time. You have stories. And that's allowing your kids to breathe, allowing your employees to fail if you can. Knee shot or headshot. I love that. That's a great analogy. But allowing your kids to fail because then that's how they become managers. And they, when they become the managers who manage the people below them, they can have those stories that they know and they can teach. So it's the same thing with parenting. Yeah. And, and then that big piece that you were talking about was community, right? It's, there is no question kids have access to communities anywhere on anything. All the time. All the time. And it's going to get worse with AI. But how do you create something that they can really connect with, whether it's a sport? And, and much of this is you know becoming elitist as well. Like you said, camps are getting more expensive or they're getting more rare. Uh, because of loss of camps and land and et cetera, et cetera. But supply and demand, right? Yeah, supply and demand. And but things like hockey and dance and all these things that you put your kids in are also extremely expensive. But there there really is, you know, some low hanging fruit sports that are, you know, inexpensive and you know, soccer and basketball and and you know, but it's critical to find these communities and activities yeah. that they can just get out and burn energy. Yeah. The best thing you can do uh, as a parent is allow your kids to be kids. That's the one that I come back to all the time. Allow your kids to be kids. It's so important. Allow your employees to fail. I know you guys just came off of, uh, you just did, uh, I forget the, the acronym for it, but the leadership uh, conference. Spark? Yeah. We just did it at Wonderland? Yeah. That's what you did in Wonderland. And then you have OS. OSLC. OSLC. Ontario Student Leadership Conference. Yeah. OSLC is bigger than what we ever did. Like the conferences we ran had 100 kids at them. OSLC has two and a half thousand. Two and a half thousand kids? Yeah. All high school kids? Yeah. Wow. Like it's a rock concert. That's what it is. We just did Wonderland. If you don't know Wonderland, it's a theme park in Canada. The biggest theme park in Canada. We just did a thousand kids a day come in. We do programs with them. And like, so there's a lot of opportunities there for you to do stuff. It's harder to do stuff because there's more roadblocks to doing things like it's a whole education conversation, but school boards don't allow kids to do things anymore because it's too hard. Can't, it's hard. Too hard or too much risk or... It's imagined risk. Too, too many social risk. bumpers that we're putting on Oh, it. God, yeah. With all these communities, you know what the great thing is, you, that old quote, you can't please everybody all the time, but you can please some of the people some of the time. So it's a, it's a problem with, with our world, right? It's because we, there's so many communities now, you're going to piss off somebody, right? Like think about being, I would not want to be a public educator running a school board, school district, because you have so many communities to try and, High school is the only place in the world where you shove everybody into a, into a building from every different possible background and say, get along every day for six hours a day, five days a week for 40 some odd weeks a year. We're all going to shove you into this building and make you all get along. That doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. Right. And that's crazy. Right. And now back, back when we were there, 
in school. Like you rallied around your school mascot. You were the whatevers. You were the George Washington Rams. You're but that's but that's still happening in high school, is it not? No. Come on, you had twenty five hundred kids at your OSLC. Yeah. Those are student leaders, aren't they? Yeah, but that is the student leadership. But but going back to the school does not doesn't translate, right? So because you can't do X, Y, and Z or X, Y, and Z because you can't you can't piss anybody off. So you can go like example we just had a we just had a uh, one of our best speakers Kara Filler she is she lost her sister in a car accident 26 years ago speeding a twin sister wash or die terrible story she does a whole thing now she's traveled around the, the world doing her safe driving program it's an amazing program she's a super great speaker she's super impactful she's probably saved thousands of kids lives making decisions that are you know like for 26 years good for her she we booked her into eight school tour for a certain school district and the school school district after booking her eight eight schools uh, in, a, in, a, in a rural community that has a lot of issues with driving, drinking and driving, speeding, they have a lot of accidents. They've lost a lot of kids over the last five years, far too many. And so she's perfect for that, to go in, to talk to these kids about safe driving and making good decisions. So this particular school board, for the first time ever, asked for a transcript of her speech. To sure they have a position in their school board or school district that their only job is to mitigate risk of offense. And that's the crazy thing, right? Because the problem is like, sure, you can, everyone can be offended, right? You can't please everybody all the time. So there's always, always has been, you can offend somebody all the time, right? Sure. But we used to like say, well, the old majority rules, right? So like if 80% of the people are loving this, then we're doing a good thing. We're doing pretty damn good. Right. But now it's if 100% are loving it, we cannot do it at all. So they canceled her entire tour for two reasons. They highlighted the words in the transcript. And I don't want to be an alarmist here. I'm not trying to be crazy, but this is like the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. You know you're going to sound like an alarmist. 100%. Okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and this is why I probably should no longer do what I do. Just kidding. I love, I love what I do. The words that were highlighted were him, her, his, she, uh, gals, fellas, ladies, gentlemen. And it came back was, you cannot use stereotypical gender references. So what did they want? They? They, them, or like, I don't know how. I don't know how you would do it. And not that they gave her a chance to, to address it. They didn't say, like, this is our issues. We'd like you to see, maybe, could you, like, include, could you even say the line, like, I don't want to stereotype, but often boys like to drive fast, right? Or I don't want to stereotype, but those who are boys who identify as boys like to drive fast. Like, I don't know how you would do it, but, like, there wasn't even the opportunity to do it. So she was completely, the whole show, whole tour was done. Eight schools, the communities that need to have this conversation. The other part of the thing was highlighted was the fact any reference to death, because there are kids who can't handle death for their mental health reasons. They're literally trying to deal with a problem with kids dying, but they can't talk about it because someone might be offended. And this is a school board in Ontario. Sure. That you're not going to tell us. And I don't really want to know, to be honest with you, but yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that is, so what you're trying is you identify the problem. We have kids dying in car accidents. We find a solution. This particular speaker spoke at one of our events. The students saw her. The teachers saw her. Went back to the school district. Like this is who we need. Everyone was on board. The student senate, like the kids who are like they proposed the whole thing. They got approval. They got funding. All done. And then they have a person on the board whose job is to mitigate offense. Has a probably better name than that. To mitigate offending people. And they said no, 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 no done so nobody gets to experience that and kids to sound dramatic 
kids could continue to die. Well, they will continue to die, right? I mean, it's this it's speech gonna, could have helped yeah, kids, yeah, but it won't because. So that that is that is where we are, and and that is uh, a rural, not a not this is you know we this is not a major city, like this is not like you think. Well, that's just New York, or that's just Toronto, but no, this is like a rural community that you would not think would be worried about this stuff. So that that is that is a really scary thing. And sorry, is this at the school level or the board level? The board level. Board level. The schools were all important. They had eight schools. Okay. We were all going to go. Principals were in. I think, as far as I know, kids were all in. The student leaders were all in. And now I just got another one. Another school recently asked me for another transcript of another speaker's speech to go through it. What do you do? Well, you could put it through ChatGPT and say, "Can you rewrite the speech so it doesn't offend anyone?" Yeah. <laughs> It would, it, you might fry the AI, right? It might be one thing that fries the AI because it can't do it. It's not possible, right? Because there's, and that's the problem because you don't want to offend anybody. I don't think anyone sets out to offend people, but there's, there's also really good skills in being offended, learned. Like there's really good skills in being pissed off and learning how to deal with that, right? Learning how to deal with people not agreeing with you or we're not all the same. We're not all, we're not all carbon copies of each other. Well, that's the crazy part is like, really, you really actually can't offend someone. You can say something and they can feel offended, but sure. that's not you offending them. That's them. That's their response to what you said. In a lot of organizations efforts to say, we're all unique and individuals. We're all different, but we don't want to talk about that. We're all different, but God forbid we say something that is offensive to other people who aren't who are different. We're different. So how do you how do you so how do you be different? Like we want to recognize differences, but we don't want to talk about them. By not talking about them, we're somehow recognizing them, which none of it makes sense. And that's that that's also one of the reasons why I I love the idea of summer camps is because there's no private summer camps anyway. Is that there's nobody. You send your kids there, and they they learn about this stuff, and they learn how to not to be offended. They learn how not to to understand that not everyone's the same and that little Stevie over here identifies as a raccoon and little Jane thinks she's a tree. He gives a shit, right? I can do what I want. And, but we're so scared of offending people. You know, I reflect back to when I was young. I mean, there's that kind of stuff's way more accepted now. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, it's insane. Well, we didn't even talk about it. I mean, you know, the fact that they put like there's schools where they put kitty litter in the bathrooms. And I think that story is a little bit become a bit of a, a bit of an urban myth. Well, but yeah, I don't, I think, it, I think, yeah, no, that's actually true. Cause one of my friend's kids went to a school and there was kitty litter in the washrooms. Cause they had children who identified as cats. Yeah. Cats or bunnies, which I, I mean, I don't even know where I lie, fall on that. Like, I think that's it's called it, pretend. I, I think it's, yeah. I think when I was a kid, one of, one of, my, one of my kids were young, one of them wanted to be Spider-Man, but. You know, we still didn't call him Peter Parker. We called him by his name. Right. Because he's just so you're, pretending. You're actualizing your creativity. Yes. Which is, but I mean, there's limits. The challenge with that too is when you're young, you have a thousand different thoughts, right? And by young, I mean under the age of 25, probably 30. You, you change all the time. What you like as your, as your circle of influence expands, what you love, like, dislike, hate changes. So if, you, if, if you're told at 14, like you said with your wife, well, if you were put into a category at 14 for the rest of your life. Holy crap. Like I am not the same person I was when we met. Yeah. The fact that they're even having those conversations at that age. Yeah. I mean, sure you can acknowledge the feelings, but it's like, Hey, it's a wait and see game. 
Yeah, I'm not saying you can't acknowledge, 100% acknowledge the feelings, yeah. have conversations, have open conversations about it. Help kids understand it. I mean, I have a friend of mine uh, who, was a, who was a child who came home their day and had changed their name on their things and they said they wanted to buy they, them. And the parent had an incredible, I wish I, I wish I had recorded the conversation that, that he told me he had with, with her. And it's like, listen, you can be who you want to be. You can do what you want to do. You can, you can whatever, but I think you need to wait some time and experience some more life before you make those big decisions and out of respect for like your family and your parents, and your grandparents, like you need to like figure out life first before you make these giant at 14. I didn't know what boobs were. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't know if I wanted them. Do you know what I mean? Like at 14 years old, who makes decisions at 14 years yeah, old? No, it's insane. Well, and it's younger than that too. It's even, Oh God, being I mean, generous at 14. We've, we've digressed a bit of a different conversation here, but it all comes back down to parenting. Mm-hmm. It all comes back down to young Leader, people's leadership. leadership. But, but the, so the last question I asked you, which I'm not sure we really got into that answer, which was, you know, the OSLC, 2,500 kids. It's obviously alive and well. Very well. Very good. There's, there's leadership happening with kids. A couple of things I'm interested in is, is how do parents or employers get their kid, get their kids into those organizations Mm -hmm. to find a community or, and, and, and what's coming out of it? Like, you know, 2,500 kids, we used to have a hundred and now there's 2,500. So, I mean, to me, there's a little bit of hope there. Yeah. I, I'm very hopeful. Like I'm very, very hopeful. I just think that we're at a crossroads, which we've been at crossroads many times in our, in our history. So what makes you most hopeful? What makes me hope most hopeful is I think I'm stalling for that answer. Um, sit in the silence, do sit in the silence. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to like summarize it in a sentence or two. And it's hard to do that. I'm very hopeful. I still think like, I I think I I said to you, when I said at the beginning that they're the kids who think they can change the world now believe truly they they can more than they, like they believe they can, they have the tools and those kids are going to change the world. And I think there will become a tipping point where we realize and throughout time, things change, but throughout history, things have changed. But I think there'll become a tipping point where we realize there has to be some sort of a, something will break, something will give. And we can't be all things for all people. We can't, it has to be something that gives. I don't know what that is, but I think the kids will figure it out. I think the younger generation will figure it out long before we will, how to make it better. Yeah, I see those some, sometimes those things as a pendulum swing, you know, we tend to go as society, go too far in one thing and then it has to come back and then center a little bit. And and we've seen some of it in sport. They're starting to disallow you know, some of the transgender uh, agendas uh, and athletes that are, have their own agendas to kind of disallowing them to compete. But yeah, that's but, an interesting conversation. Yeah. Sure. But I mean, yeah, it, that's another one. But, but in terms of the hopefulness, like these kids, like it's a little bit, difficult for me to get my head wrapped around, you know, changing the world. Like they can, you know, they feel they can change the world. And, and I love, I love that thought process, but it's, we, the, idea, it's we, the idea that they can, but is it because the world is now shrunk for them because of the social media? As easy it is to, to find negative in social media. One of the great things is as a young person, I can think of like, me and my buddies got together. It's a great idea. It's a hashtag, it's this, 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 or it's a great app, whatever it is. And they have access to the world to promote it, right? Like they have access to the whole world to promote this amazing idea. So maybe that's one thing that catches on and shifts the conversation in the right way. Um, so as much as there is negative, 
I find some negative stuff with, with social media and we all, I think we all recognize there's some negative stuff with social media um, and technology and connection. There's also the ability to kids have platforms for really positive things. And that's why I have hope. I have hope that the, the kids who are so smart will find ways to send messages out that are positive, that can, are, are, will swing the pendulum back to like, hey, like, we need to be less fractured. I don't know how it's going to, I don't know, but I just, I, I do believe there's, there's, I said at the beginning that kids believe they can change the world. And now more than ever, they have a platform or many platforms in which they can get that message out. And what that looks like, who knows? Are you worried about the current social state of kids now? And I guess, you know, speaking from a Canadian or North American perspective, are you worried about it? Or do you think it's just a place and time and we need to just have a little bit of patience, wait for things to settle? It'll sort itself out. It's a process. Where, yeah. where do you fall on that? I am worried. I think I said, I think we're trending the wrong direction. I think it's because we don't understand the power of what we're giving kids right now because the adults don't understand it, right? In, the, in history, adults always knew more than the kids. Now the kids know more than the adults, at least when it comes to technology, because we can't control it. I, I am worried. I am concerned because you need to have, we, we talked about a lot, you need to have an adult as a check and balance, right? Because yes, this didn't tell you anything, but it can't give you life lessons. It can't give you stories of, there's still something amazing about sitting down with somebody. Like it's the whole thing. We ran all the events online during the pandemic. And at one point we reached one of our events. We did, we had 55,000 kids at it online, which is insane. 55,000 people tuned in to our global student summit. And although it was, it was, it was amazing. It was, it was super inspiring. That we did that at five o'clock. I turned my computer off and it was over, right? There was no, you know, we had the chat rooms, we had the Facebook, we had the Instagram, we had the TikTok channels, we had all the things set up for kids to continue the conversation. It died within seven days. It was done. Like nobody was posting, nobody was talking, nobody was interacting with Stover. Just didn't carry forward. Didn't carry forward. And the reason why is because although technology is amazing, it doesn't give you one of those things I talked about about community. It doesn't give you organic connection, right? Until you can get to the point where you can sit in a room and we can fire up a a hologram and we can be like this sitting crushed and having having conversation like that that's as great as zoom is and it's just not the same it's just not it's it's still very one way it's not two way it's still even though you can have a conversation it's just there's something about being in a room with human beings experiencing it together and being able to like at the end give someone a hug or high five or Look at them and go, like, God, was that incredible? And like those those pauses or feel the energy in a room. You can't feel the energy in a room. You can't feel it. No, not virtually, no. Even I don't even know if you could do it with holograms. Probably like, yeah, you're probably right. There's sweat. There's 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 you know what I mean? Like there's there's synergy, there's yeah, hundred percent. Like when you go in a room, the, the the whole temperature of the room goes up whenever it gets excited. So there's all these like real tangible connections you can't get through technology. So yeah, I'm not sure why I started talking about that, what the question even was, but. Well, I, I'm trying to figure out if I should sell all my shit and retire because I won't be able to hire any people in the next 10 years or or they won't care, the ones that I hire. I don't know. I, that, that's a great question. That's one of the number one questions I get from, from 
entrepreneurs I work with and, and, and executives I work with because they come to me to find out how to handle young people, right? Like, well, you, you know, and I don't know all of it, but I, cause I don't know, I don't know, understand, I don't know where we're going, how far we're going to go into that like disconnection of like giving a shit about your employer or your job or your responsibilities. I, I don't know. As I said, we used to have 150 people line up to work at the camp for 80 spots. And I would have 50 people apply for 80 spots. So that's just a real life example. And what we do is great. And what we do is we foster great leaders. Like that's what we do. Even the kids who grew up through our program for five, six, seven, eight years, 10 years, didn't come back to be staff because they just didn't need to. I don't know, I don't know the answer for the future generation of, of workers because the kids don't, they don't have to work. Well, they have to work at some point, but not, not as, not as much. Did your parents yeah. tell you to get a job? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. So did mine. My first job was 14. Well, they have to work at some point though. Like at some point they're going to have to grow up and get a job. Sure. But as you know, someone who, one of your businesses that you own, I mean, you rely on that generation of young people to work. Mm -hmm. That's how you, that's how your business works. Oh, it's an unbelievable Right. block right now. You have a resource, a major resource issue. Yeah, everybody does. It's everywhere. Yeah, but there's a certain generation of people that were designed in our in our way we work as a society that that young generation worked at low paying, low paying jobs to allow companies to succeed. We don't have that anymore. Right? We, don't, we don't have that 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 resource pool is, is shrinking. I think it's going to be a matter of, you know, when I look at it from our businesses, I, I think it's. We're going to have to work harder, which is okay. Yeah. Not a complaint, but we're going to have to work harder to get the best people. And we're going to have to be able to provide that community and that. We, we, we took it for granted for too long. We absolutely did. And now you've got to figure out a way to make it, make them feel valuable. And, and they shouldn't be making six bucks an hour. They shouldn't be because the world has changed. Or the, the, the cost of living has changed. So you can't, you have to change with it. And you've got to make people feel like they're valuable. And you got you just can't, there's not another, there isn't another person waiting to take that job. Because I remember my boss saying, if you don't want this job, there's someone else right behind you will take it. Not anymore. Not anymore. Yeah, you can't utter those words. No, nope, because probably not. No, there's another job across the street. Right, you walk down the street and there's a thousand jobs, right? Every restaurant's hiring. Every, every retail store is hiring. They're all hiring. So yeah, I don't, I, who knows what's going to happen. But you do have to make your employees feel better. I know we're a smaller organization than you, but... Our employees don't have hours anymore. We don't have any hours. We don't have any expectations to come in or to leave because they all work from home, right? So they just, as long as they get their work done, they work when they can work. And we've got like a, one of our staff is pregnant. One of our staff has got young kids. One of our, one of our staff is 20 something years old. So they're all different. They all have different social lives. And so now I just, I don't even, I don't even ask. I just, they get it done and they get it done. It's worked for me. So it's outcome based. Yes, 100%. Yeah. And that's really worked for me. Like we have set times once a week for a meeting. We get together. We have an office still. We get together at office once a month for a day. We go for lunch. It works. I cannot imagine that being my life 20 years ago. Could you? Oh, no. no I couldn't imagine it today. I mean, there's, I, I mean, I do like working from home or, 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 you know, but I also do like getting into the office and, and, and seeing, yeah, seeing people. It's interesting, buddy. It is, man. I appreciate you coming out, man. Don't know if we solved anything. Don't know if we figured anything out. I don't know if we, uh, 
we probably said some things. Yeah, I don't know if I'm more scared or less scared than uh, than than when we started this. But uh, at, at the end of the day, you know, it's good to have the conversation because if you don't, if you're not talking about it, and then absolute fear takes over. And I, I think there's a there'll be a way out of this. I mean, it'll yeah. be, it's I mean, we've got there's a lot of headwinds. There's no doubt about it. There's like you said, there's not a lot of people out there that want to work. Whether it's not just a student thing. No, no, it's in general. I mean, it's in general. You know, there there are people who just they just don't want to work. They don't, or they want to work on their terms. And you know, the pandemic was uh, was a game changer, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next five years. Listen, Dwayne, this has been fantastic, man. Yeah, I appreciate you coming, man. It's uh, I hope I shared some insight, and I didn't scare anybody. But I always tell parents whenever I finish up a program with parents, I say the best thing you can do. As a parent, people are always like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? So I'll leave you with this. I think the best thing you can do as a parent is not be afraid to parent and not be their pal, be their parent. And that is the best thing you can actually do for your kids. Um, not in the moment, because it's tough, but in the long run, which every parent does all this stuff to try and help their kids be more successful, you will make your kids way more successful if you allow them to be kids to fail, to fall, to learn from those mistakes. That's the best thing you can do as a parent. And it's not comfortable. It's not easy. But I will guarantee you, if you really do want to make your kids' lives better, do that. Because I can tell you that those are the kids who I've hired in the last 10 years, where the parents who have done that, were the ones that were the most well-adjusted, the problem solvers, the ones that become managers in our organizations and other organizations. It's the best thing you can do. It's good advice, man. And it's good, and it's good advice to be taken by anybody who has a business or is managing a business who, who just to say, Hey, you know, you sh- parents, you should parent your kids and, ma- you know, managers or employers, you, you should lead and manage your, your people. They used to say that kids would push the parent as far as they could to learn the limitations that they had, right? Like every kid for history has always pushed their parent just to see when the parent would break. Mm-hmm. And then they knew that was their limitations, yeah. right? So that the same thing with manager, right? Like every employee tries to figure out how big that 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 broad stroke is that they can paint. That's right. Yep. Yep. At home for me, it was uh, pushed my mom until I got the wooden spoon. And then I knew. <laughs> yeah. 100%. <laughs> and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. That's a good, good place. <laughs> Thanks, brother, for coming. Really appreciate it. It's a great conversation. I mean, I think this is on the minds of every single this. I mean, I know it's on the minds. I, I mean, I'm having these conversations, like I said at the beginning. Every single dinner we have, whether it's at work, it comes up every single time. Two things come up. What's, you know, the, the, the situation of, 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 uh, uh, of kids and where they're at and what's happening and, you know, LGBT and all that kind of stuff Everything. and transgender, all that stuff. And, and, entitlement, and, other, and kids entitlement. And right. Da, 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 yeah. And, yeah. And not, they don't want to work, all that kind of stuff. And the other thing that comes up because of my age is elder care. Those are the two things that always come up at all, at every single, every single Yeah. Time. I travel the States a lot. No matter what happens, I go across the border. I got my U.S. work visa and I always give the visa and the guy always says, what do you do? So I say, I work with youth and almost to the, like the last one they'll go. I got a 16 year old at home. And like I'm at crossing the border and they wanted me to give them advice right now on how to handle their 16 year old at home. I'm like, all right, let's do this right now. Then i um, got a flight to catch, but let's talk about your kid. So you're right. It happens. Everyone wants to know. Everyone wants to figure out the, the solutions or find it, find a way to make their family and their kids succeed.
And that's what we all want. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks for man. coming, brother. Thanks, Great man. chatting with you. Yeah, 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 100%. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you being with us. If you found value in the show and know a friend or a coworker who could benefit from the conversation, please share the link via text or on social media. Remember, each share creates a ripple effect of knowledge and inspiration. We'll see you next week. The views, information, or opinions expressed by guests during the Business of Doing Business podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Dwayne Kerrigan and his affiliates. Dwayne Kerrigan or the Business of Doing Business podcast is not responsible for and does not verify the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. Listeners are advised to consult with a qualified professional or specialist before making any decisions based on the content of this podcast.